I don't know how many of you uh, do any public speaking, but if you're ever doing public speaking and you're feeling a little bit insecure, you're feeling nervous about being in front of people, I'm going to give you a little tip, okay? Uh, no, it's not to envision people naked. I, that never, trust me, I don't do that. I don't know where that came from or what, you know, what that's going to accomplish. Uh, you've heard that, I'm sure, and that's just bizarre. I don't know what that is. Here's the tip, okay? If you're feeling insecure and you're feeling kind of nervous about being up in front, here's a great question to throw out to the people that you're speaking to that will just uh, put you in good company, okay? Here's the question. Would you, now don't do this because I'm not trying to make you this way, but uh, would you just raise your hand all across the room, would you just raise your hand if you're struggling with being insecure? Now here's what will happen if you throw that question out to people. It's such a weird question because people are like, I mean, it's weird, right? Because you're like, well, I struggle with insecurity, and you're asking me to raise my hand on that one. Um, now, now, if you're wanting to be gracious to the people you're speaking to, um, here's what you might do. You might say, and this is where someone invented this one day, without raising your hand, okay? Or even nodding your head or giving any kind of uh, external notification of what's going on internally, how many of you wrestle with insecurity? You see how gracious that is? See, now we can all go... But if you really want to get it awkward, just ask them to raise their hand. So just a little tip. If you have something coming up, you're nervous about it, throw that one out. Um, I bring up insecurity because of this. This morning's passage that we're going to look at really talks about assurance. And the opposite of assurance and being sure of something is to really be insecure about something. Now, I want to take you back to middle school. Most of our middle schools just left. We love having middle schoolers worship with us uh, on most Sundays. But on the fourth Sunday of the month, uh, they always head out and do a little junior high thing. Um, and I want you to take you back there because for some of you, it's been a long time. Some of you, it's not been that long. Some of you, it's been a really long time since middle school. But in middle school, um, your body, your world, uh, your mind, your emotions are going through changes. I mean, you're just constantly, every day, every week, you're just going, what is this? What is going on with me, you know? And then you're talking along, and that's going on if you're a guy, and that's just not very macho and cool if you're doing that. Um, things are happening, right? And you can get pretty insecure about it. Uh, it's kind of interesting to watch middle schoolers. We have a middle school next door, and uh, right outside of my window, I hear the bell ring several times a day. Now, they all wear uniforms, so it's kind of lifted the, um, I guess, some of the pressure to wear, you know. Back in the day, there was a little alligator, right, that sat right here on your shirt, and if you were cool, you wore the alligator, And uh, if you were really cool, you went like this, and you just got that collar working, uh, and then it moved to acid wash and pegging jeans and all kinds of stuff. We'd have an intervention for my buddy. He was the last person on earth to peg his jeans. And we're like, dude, acid wash and pegging's done. And we just had to tackle him and make it stop. But in middle school, it's all about fitting in, right? It's all about battling this insecurity. And a lot of people, kids are testing the waters on certain things. There's all kinds of clicks going on. So they're kind of trying on this persona for a while, and and then they're trying on this one over here, and it's a really rough time. Um, Here's what I think, though, is true. I think that while we outgrow a lot of that, and while we gain perspective as the years go on, um, a lot of that still hangs on to us, doesn't it? I mean, there really are cliques still within the body of Christ. There really are cliques within the office and and the office politics and the dynamics of where you might work or go to school. How about your family? There's some people, I was just at a giant family party yesterday. It was a great time. Went to the beach and it was raining, so we went to my aunt's house, which was a block away. 
And there's a lot of people in that room. And within any family, there are those who are um, kind of in this crowd and kind of hang out. And there are those in this crowd. And there's even kind of uh, just little things. And, and I think insecurity is something that we struggle with in general. Now, we like to put on a good air like we have it all together. Um, but we struggle with it. What we're looking at this morning really is kind of like spiritual insecurity. And it's a little bit like being in, in spiritual middle school, so to speak. There comes a time when you become a Christian, and you know what? You couldn't care less what other people think about you. It's you and the Lord, and you have this newfound life and freedom, and you've tasted forgiveness, and you're just on cloud nine. You've been there. And then there's sort of a, a thing that can go on. Here's what I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure if we were Christians in a different part of the world, we would struggle to just acquiesce to kind of the status quo of whatever's going on in that part of the world or in that particular church or in that particular denomination. If people never really read their Bible, but twice a year they they give things away uh, to the Salvation Army, there's a temptation to just kind of uh, meander into that status quo. Maybe keep a little bit above it. Kind of keep a good little pharisaical notch or two above. But basically that's where we'd land. What if we were in an era, though, where people were losing their life and, and losing their job and being yanked from their families? And, and that was kind of the, the status quo. Guess what? You wouldn't become a Christian for just kind of, I think I'll give it a try. No, no, no. You commit, right? You say, man, you alone have the words of life. Where else am I going to go? <clears throat> this morning, here's what I want to do. Here's, my, here's my, my prayer this week has been this, that I want to show you from our text how you can know that you're saved. How can you know that you are saved? Now, before some of you check out and go, oh man, this sounds like a basic gospel message, I want you to listen to the text, I want you to read the text and look at the text with me, and I want you to to question yourself and look at yourself. All of us want assurances in life. I'm already behind the slides. This is completely my bad. Isn't that a cool slide? All right, moving on. Um, we all want assurances in life. Um, you know what's interesting? You're used to people breaking promises to you. You know how I know? Because you read contracts really, really carefully before you sign up on something. You know why? Because you're used to, to things being broken. You're used to it in business transactions, in personal relationships. There's something called a prenuptial arrangement, right? And that's someone who says, we're going to commit to each other for life and marriage. However, if it doesn't work out, I want what's mine uh, safe and sound. Uh, we do this kind of in a, in a lot of different spectrums of life. Down payments, guarantees, contracts, securities. Think about this when you were young. Maybe you said this. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Right? Now, imagine if you had an international student friend who was with you, and all the school children are saying this. And this person said, now why are they saying this gruesome saying? And you're trying to explain to them, well... This person has just made some kind of a promise, and to show the depth of sincerity for that promise, they are basically promising self-inflicted pain and even a death wish if they would break this promise. And the international student would think, yeah, Americans are crazy. That's bizarre. That's a sick little saying if you think about it. Um, but, But we're used to that. Uh, let me fast forward to kind of a more adult, this is a little bit fa- fantasy era, but um, there's a scene in one of the Lord of the Rings, I can't keep track of which one, but there's a rogue army that is swearing allegiance to Saruman, and he says, swear that you'll be you know, true to me. 
How do I know that you're really true? And the guy whips out a big old honking knife. I don't recommend this at home, children. But he puts it in his hand and he slices his hand and he says, I swear it. And blood's kind of coming out of his knuckles. And the big old smile gets on Saruman's face because he goes, okay, good. The guy just cut his hand. He's probably pretty serious about this. Let's look at Jesus for a minute. Jesus accompanies his promise with suffering, with bloodshed, with death on a cross. In your notes, 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or it was shown plainly to us. How was it shown? That God sent his only son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might live through him. The one dies for the many. How do we know Jesus loves us? It's the cross. That's why Christians celebrate the cross. That's why we talk about the cross. That's why we can celebrate communion. Secondly, he sends us his Holy Spirit. John 15, 26 says this, but when the helper, capital H, meaning talking about the person of the spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. These are two of the ways Jesus wants to assure us of his love for us. He's going to bleed and die for us. So that in the days to come, the disciples say, I wonder if Jesus really loved us. He did. He suffered and died on behalf of us. And I'm going to send my spirit. My spirit is called the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth. And he's going to testify about me a witness about Christ. He knew this because there would be attacks on his disciples as there are in the life of any believer to doubt, to wander, to fall away, to be unsure, to be insecure in their standing in Christ. You know, what's interesting is as people are dying, one of the joys I get to do as a pastor is I get to be at the bedside of people who are in a lot of pain. And I say it's a joy because of this. I would have never thought it would be a joy to go and do that. My heart pounds every time I get a call to go and do that. Because in the flesh, I don't know what to say. I really don't know how to act. But I know that the Holy Spirit works really powerfully when people are facing death. When people are facing death, people see things incredibly clearly. And I say it's a joy because I've told you this before from the front. Every time I leave a hospital bed like that, I see life more clearly. It just reminds me of what's important. Would I prefer to do a wedding over a funeral? Yeah. But I think as I'm getting older, I'm actually just, I mean, I see the benefit of a funeral, weeping with those who weep and seeing life most clearly. You know what's fascinating, though? Um, Why would we just want assurance of salvation on our deathbed? Uh, Many of you have gone through this experience. Many people are losing their homes. They're having to sell their home. My in-laws did this. We worked really hard to get their house all in tip-top shape right in time for them to sell it. And we kind of dawned on us, man, it would have been great to find the time to do this, get it looking sharp, and get to use it for a season of time, all nice and neat and and cleaned up before we had to sell it. But a lot of times, that's how it works, right? Right in the last hour, you get it all spick and span so you can sell the house, and then you're like, well, it's a nice house. I wish they didn't have to sell it. Assurance on your deathbed is a little bit that same way. People are right on their last breath and they're, and, they're, and they're giving away. I mean, what a joy to receive that gift much earlier in life and get to live life assured of your salvation. Do you know that the Bible makes um, 
uh, makes our salvation and the desire to make it a matter of certainty, a command. Look at Second Peter 1.10. It's in your notes. I put a bunch in your notes, by the way, so that you can just have this. You don't need to jot a bunch of this down. Circle, notate if you want. But you can see some of these scriptures. Second Peter 1.10 says this. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Isn't that a great promise? Don't you want to never fall in your spiritual walk? Here's Hebrews 10.22. We just sang this song by Reggie Coates who took scripture and put it to music. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Circle the word full assurance. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be fully assured. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, we don't think of this as a command to make our, our, uh, our salvation sure. But think about what happens if you disobey this. You know what happens if you disobey this? You actually open yourself to all kinds of attack. You open yourself up to all kinds of doubt and insecurities. And some of you know what it's like to live life with insecurities in a certain area. It's crippling, isn't it? Not only is it crippling, it's exhausting. You pour so much energy into trying to bolster up this area that you feel insecure that you're exhausted to do anything else and to live life the way God might be wanting you to live. Can you sing Blessed Assurance with utter conviction? Listen to the words of, utter, of, of Blessed Assurance. This is a song I used to sing growing up. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. Goes on to say, this is my story. This is my song. And I'll sing it all day long. So how can I know? How can you know if you're saved? Let me throw out that there may be four groups of people. Maybe there's more, but I want to just categorize you this morning, maybe in one of these four groups. There's some of you in this room that would say, I am unsaved and I know it. Here's what I mean by that. I've heard the gospel message. I've heard that there's this good news that God sent His Son, that Jesus came. He lived a sinless life so that He could be the unblemished sacrifice that would atone for or pay for all of mankind's sin. I've heard that. And I don't believe it. If that's how you're saved, then I'm unsaved. That's category one. I'm unsaved and I know it. Here's category two. Those who are saved, but they don't possess assurance of that salvation. Sometimes people come to you. Sometimes people come to me as a pastor and they say, man, I, I just don't feel saved today. You ever not feel saved today? Yeah, me. I feel unsaved some days. And then I thank God it's not based on my feeling. I say, wow, God, I'd be on and off the roller coaster so much I'd have whiplash. There are those who are saved without assurance. A third category of people is this. There are those who are saved and they know it. It's a deep conviction. They sing blessed assurance with assurance. And they just belt that out. And they say, man, I know that I'm saved. I know that the God of the universe is crazy about me. Fourthly is there are those who are unsaved but believe that they are saved. Those who are unsaved, according to the Bible, they would even quote the Bible and lean on the Bible as their hope. But according to the Bible, they're not saved. But they believe that they are saved. Cruising along through life as if everything's okay. And on Judgment Day, there's going to come a time when Jesus said, there will be people that will come and say, Lord, Lord, 
Look at all this stuff we did for you. Let me show you my calendar. I'll show you my tithing record. I'll show you my walk the lady across the street record. And what does Jesus say on that day? Apart from me, I never knew you. You were not known by me and I was not known by you. There was no relationship there. What you were practicing is called religion. And religion always leads to death. There was no relationship. Ephesians 1. I hope you're there. Not beat me to it. Ephesians 1. We've been looking at all of these things in Christ. Our position in Christ. Paul starts off this letter in this way of saying, I want to I wanna, uh, sing. Basically, it's almost like a praise chorus that he's belting out. And he's saying, I want to show you your amazing standing that you have in Christ. When we put on Christ. Ephesians 1, we're looking at verses 13 and 14. It says this, follow along with me. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I've put these in your notes so you don't have to take too many notes to follow along. But let me just kind of show you uh, a couple of things. Verse 13. He says, you also. Why does he say you also? What is that doing there? We didn't cover this a whole bunch last week. But in verse 12, uh, it's really contrasting those in verse 12 who were the first to hope in Christ. The first to hope in Christ would be those from the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. The first to hope in Christ are, are Jewish people. And then all the Gentiles that God has opened up His plan, His message of salvation, His plan of rescue to, are now going to come along and believe as well. So you also are most of those of us sitting in this room. If you're a Gentile, which by definition means you are not Jewish, then you're in this you also in verse 13. So the gospel comes first to the household of Israel and then to us. Let me just tell you a couple of things that that points out. While it's contrasting Jewish Christians and Gentile ones, it points to the fact that both groups of people have full access to God, full rights as inherited children of God. That's a little foreshadow of chapter 2. He's going to go into that more, so we won't touch on it too much. It also underscores that there is one spirit at work here. There's not a Jewish Holy Land spirit. I better get to, to the Holy Land and get in touch with that spirit. There's one spirit at work here. Remember our whole series title? It's the word one. Because there's one Holy Spirit. There's one God. And he's at work in the lives of the nation of Israel and in Gentiles. And finally, it underscores that there's, there's this kind of one community that God's bringing together. These chosen people of Israel who for centuries had been, who had been kind of trained in their thinking and molded in their thinking um, that were the exclusive ones. This gracious God that poured out on this nothing nation, Israel, they began to see it as entitlement. And instead of saying, God's blessed us to be a blessing to the nations. Remember that? That's all through the Old Testament. I'm going to bless you, not because of your might, because I choose to, because I'm gracious. I want you to be a blessing to the nations. Instead, it started to be entitlement. Well, here God's taking these two radically different communities and he's molding them together into one family. And praise God, there's no second-class citizens in the family of God. There's not a head of the table. Jesus is at the head of the table. And we all get to, to graciously come because of Christ. 
Well, let me look at this word seal for a moment. The word seal is instructive in a few different ways. In ancient times, think about, I have this image here on the screen, and uh, once again, let's just stick with Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's a time when, um, uh, when I think Gandalf puts the ring in an envelope of some sort, and he puts the little wax on, he takes the signet ring, and he kind of pushes it on. Remember that? In ancient times, what would happen is this. You would take that seal, and it would, it would, it would say three things. It was placed on a document, first of all, to guarantee genuineness. So if someone received it and they saw that it had been sealed with the signet ring of the king or something, they knew, okay, this is legit. What's in here was sealed there. And they couldn't open it up and, and piece it back together. Secondly, these goods that were in transport were basically guaranteed uh, protection and guaranteed ownership as it went from one place to another because it was kind of protected by the seal. And finally, it was symbolic of the authority of the office that it represented. So if you saw that, that's not some peasant putting that. That's someone in authority giving you the seal. Now, let me just let you make the connect the dots here, okay? But can you see the parallels between the Holy Spirit on the life of a believer? Let me repeat a few words. Genuineness, ownership, protection, authority. So much there. But to know that the Holy Spirit is our seal as a believer is a pretty powerful word picture that Paul's uh, getting at. The Spirit assures us of our salvation. Here's what I would do this morning. I want to run through kind of past, present, and future realities with regard to the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, Here we go. We're going to fly through these pretty quick. By the way, I'm going to take a lot of time on point one. We're going to kind of fly through points uh, two and three. Number one is that you were sealed. That's a past tense thing. Look at verse 13. It already has happened. You were sealed. When are you sealed in the Holy Spirit? There's kind of this progression that goes on. There's a first and a then and then a finally. And here's how he kind of lays it out. There's hearing. There's faith. There's receiving or belief. There's salvation. And you're sealed with the Holy Spirit at that moment of belief. I put in your notes here so we don't have to take too much time. But let me review the Holy Spirit. We went into a lot of this with John chapter 4. But the Holy Spirit... um, in John 16, was promised to the disciples by Jesus Christ. We already reviewed this, but he's called the helper, the comforter. The Holy Spirit is a person to follow and not a force to wield. It's not some mystical force that you're going to wield. In fact, people in Acts tried to buy this power. Hey, can I have some of that power? That's pretty cool. And they just get slammed by the apostles saying, you don't even know what you're talking about. The Holy Spirit has a will and speaks. You can see 1 Corinthians 12 and Revelation 2. Revelation 2, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember those? In Revelation chapter 2. The Holy Spirit dwells in people, empowers people, and moves people. Now because many people in this room are church folk, we just go, "Uh uh-huh. But that's a profound truth. That ought to rest heavy on us. We just sang this song, Home Inside of Me. Of all the places, God, that your Holy Spirit could dwell, you choose to make your home inside of me. The infinite, the eternal, the God indwelling human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a powerful idea. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 The Holy Spirit can be insulted. Hebrews 10.29 The Holy Spirit comes and seals the believer. There's a 1970s classic that I know some of you are already thinking about it, so let's just put it out on the table. Signed, sealed, and delivered, right? 
he got it almost right. There's kind of a little mix-up in the order. Now, what that song's talking about, interestingly, is he's trying to communicate his undying love. He's trying to give assurance to this person he's singing to of his love. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Now, I'm not going to attempt to sing it like Stevie, but, but it's a great song. Um, but there's this, there's this picture we have in chapter 1. Remember, we're chosen by the Father, we're redeemed by the Son, and now we're sealed by the Spirit. Several weeks ago, I pointed out that the triune God, three pictures of the same God, are seen in this chapter. Three different distinct roles. Chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you in this room would say, okay, but I've heard the gospel and uh, I've, I've tried to believe it. I mean, I've wanted to believe it. You can't try to believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at it. Others of you are fishing in your mind for people that you know that say, man, that person said they believed it. They heard the gospel. They really did give mental assent to belief in this, in this path of rescue that God's laid out to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what does that mean? But, but they've, they've since fallen away. Some of you, just if you're honest, say, man, I've, I've kind of tried church or I've kind of tried the gospel, but it just didn't take. There's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told one time. It's called, sometimes called the parable of the sowers. He didn't really give titles to it. He just started telling a story. But in the parable of the story, uh, uh, the, the parable of the sower, Jesus kind of tells about this, this, this guy who's putting seed out. Remember how some of the seed falls on one kind of a ground and one falls on a rocky ground and one falls on, on really good soil that's, that's, that's ready to receive it? And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, this is the message. I mean, this is exactly what he's illustrating. This particular parable, the, the, the disciples say, hey, explain it to us. We don't get it. Jesus actually goes back and explains to the disciples, here's what I was talking about. The message goes out. Faith comes by hearing. Right? So the message goes out. And some people receive it quickly with joy. But what happens? There's no roots. And so they quickly die off. They quickly fall away. Others, it says that the cares of this life kind of choke the life out of the gospel message. Isn't it a challenge to stay focused on spiritual truth sometimes? I go back, I go back to sitting at someone's bedside when they're about to die. I go back to a funeral. That's where you start to see life more clearly. You go, man, I've been so worried. I've been so worked up over things that I really won't care about in a few weeks. Let me once again offend baseball fans because it was so fun last week. By the way, it was a great week for baseball, wasn't it? That was just fun. Such a blast. <laughs> We're watching the game last night. We only caught the last little bit of it. And uh, there's this person. My wife is. My wife kind of enters the room, and she sees this Phillies fan and they're zoomed in on this guy, and he's going like this. He's going, like, right at the camera. And he's just going for it, you know? And Becky just happens to look at the moment at that guy, and she goes, what is he doing? And I thought, you know, I said, he's, he's in full worship mode. I mean, his God, I think, is baseball, and he's just like, I mean, this is the pinnacle. It's got to happen right here. And he's just doing the, you know, I don't know what that's going to happen, but he's, it didn't work, obviously. But he's going for it, right? Here's the thing. I mean, all those people, all of us who, I mean, one of the great things about sports is it, whether I'm competing or watching, it's like it gets your adrenaline up. You ever step back and go, man, this isn't even real? I mean, like there's, 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 there's like no battle here, really. 
I mean, on a battlefield, if someone's attacking my house and my adrenaline's up and I'm fighting for something, well, then, then that's real. There's real winners and losers there. Now, some of you, because you're baseball nuts, will remember this when you're 79 years old and you're recounting. Remember that year in 2010, you know, or whatever we refer back to this year as, and you'll know all the stats. But for a vast majority of us, we won't remember this. We're all worked up about it, and it doesn't really matter that much. The cares of this world choke out spiritual realities. The cares of this world rob you of real joy because it robs you of, of driving in deep roots and saying, I want to be sure about my salvation. I want to be sure of my standing before God. Let me just quickly run through a couple of ways that the Spirit seals. A lot of scripture here. Um, the first is by, uh, by simple testimony. Um, look at Romans 8.16. I think I put all of these in your, in your notes so you can just kind of follow along. The Spirit himself bears witness to our, with our spirit that we are children of God. Galatians 4.6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That's like an intimate daddy term. 1 John 5, 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Some of you can give testimony. You can, you can just resonate with this. As you read a verse like this, you say, man, there have been times where there's been an internal testimony saying this is true, this is false. One of the things we're really trying to do with our kids, and parents, I would encourage you this way. Sometimes parents want to strip kids of a God-given tool that he's given to them. And it's this kind of innate sense that gives you security or insecurity with people. Don't we live in a day and age where we need to be careful who we let our kids befriend and hang around and, and go with someplace? If your kid comes to you and says, man, I just don't feel right about that, or, or you're reading those signs. They usually won't sit down and say, Mom, Dad, I have something to chat with you about. They usually say it in different language, don't they? But you know what? If, if Uncle Joey, <laughs> sorry if you have an Uncle Joey or if you are the Uncle Joey, but if you've got, if you've got Uncle Joey in your family and, and your kid just doesn't want to go and give them a hug every single time at the family party, listen to that. Or just pay attention to that. That's this, that's this innate sense that, that God gives to children. God gives us this testimony of the Holy Spirit. And there are times I will enter into a meeting, a decision is before me, and I'll say, God, would you make this really easy? I'm not a bright guy. I just need direction here. Would you just allow my spirit to agree with this person's spirit if this is from you? And then we'll just move forward with it. If there's something wrong here, would you just make that abundantly clear to me? That's a really, really powerful thing that God has given. It's a gift that has just been given to us as believers. Watch for that and marvel at how God will answer that prayer. Take him at his word that there's a, that there's a spirit of him, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and is with us wherever we go. The second thing that kind of goes hand in hand, but a little bit different, is the idea of confirmation. 1 John 3.24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, circle this, we know. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
1 John 4, 13. By this, here it is again, we know. Do you get the sense that the apostle wants the people, wants the church to be fully assured? Know these things. Settle these matters. Don't float along on every wind of doctrine. You're like a child that you can just be naively swayed this way and then, oh, this sounds kind of true. Develop firm conviction so that you can stand the test when the enemy comes and whispers doubt. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. One of the ways I want you to examine whether or not you are saved or not is simply the internal witness. And I can't do this for you. I've tried. Because I'm a preacher, I'd love to put three little points together, right? And give them to you. I can't do that. Some of you just are resonating with this. You say, yeah, go move on. Preach it. I've been there. I hear that. I understand that. I get that. I live that. Some of you are saying, you know what? I'm not entirely sure I've ever had that experience. I'm not sure the Holy Spirit speaks to me in that way. Here's, here's a little bit more of a tangible, um, maybe external kind of test, but still a challenge sometimes. And that is obedience and fruit. One of the other ways that the Holy Spirit seals us is by prompting us to obey. Can you think back before you were a Christian, if you're a Christian today, before you were saved, before you received God's Holy Spirit, where you tried like crazy in the flesh to stop doing something and it just didn't work? And you get more and more down on yourself the more you can't do it. I hope and pray that you have tasted a victory in your Christian walk. Now, because we're an honest church and we like to breed honesty in church, ought to be the most honest place we are all week, there's ongoing struggle every single week. We're a broken, desperate, needy people that come and say, we need to come and be a church together. We need God to come and heal us. Help us with temptation. Help us with struggle. We still struggle with things. But don't you love to look back on your life and say, man, I remember when that was a massive temptation for me. Gosh, come to think of it, I haven't struggled with that in years. Come to think of it, God's actually removed the desire to do that. That actually kind of repulses me now. I was talking with a buddy of mine who's, who's recently converted. He's been given this heart of flesh that seeks after God and hungers for God. And the words I said to him were these. I said, you know, there's going to come a time several years down the road. Just keep walking faithfully with the Lord. There's going to come a time several years down the road where you'll look back on your life right now and you'll say, man, I wasn't even convicted about certain sins that now I find repulsive. That now the Holy Spirit just weighs heavy on me saying, that's a wrong thing to do. It wasn't even on my radar back then. You know why? God's lopping off big giant chunks over here in in the early phases, right? Is it wrong to steal? Yeah. We kind of just get that, even without the Bible. God's put that in our hearts. Is it wrong to beat people up? Yeah, it kind of is. I probably should stop doing that. Those are just the biggies, right? Don't kill, don't steal. Yeah, we get those. But there's some nuanced things that go on uh, years later that you go, man, uh, I'm not even going to say the words, but just my thoughts toward this other person, I'm feeling so, uh, so superior right now to them. And that's from Satan. That's a sin. That's an affront to God. And the reason that I feel superior to them is something that God's just gifted with me. Good health. Two hands instead of one wilted one. Whatever it is. God, would you just, 
Would you come and keep working on me? That's, that's the prayer as we grow. You know what that is? That's obedience. There's fruit that comes from walking with the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 15, uh, 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Huge words from Jesus to his disciples. Finally, it is that the Spirit instructs and reminds. John fourteen twenty six. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Let me challenge you. Put yourself out there sometime. You'll be talking with someone. You'll just be sharing with them about life and sharing the gospel potentially. And you will have things come to your mind. As you walk in obedience, you say, God, I don't really feel confident in sharing with someone. What if they ask me about this? Or, or I, I might look bad in front of them. Or I'm tired. I don't want to be doing this right now. And you sense the Holy Spirit. Speak to this person. I created this person. I love this person. Be open with them. And some of you have come back to me excited about this. And I've, I've tasted of this. Or God will call to mind a scripture verse that you haven't intentionally memorized. In fact, you haven't even consciously thought of it in a long time. But according to the need of the moment, those were the words that were going to give grace to that person. And like a cup of cold water that you kind of like produce out of nowhere, you hand it to them. I walk away from all kinds of conversations. I go, Lord, there's no way I could have prepared for this conversation. I didn't know the direction it was going to go. But you provided. You instructed me. You reminded me. As your pastor church, let me tell you this. I hope that preaching goes on in this sense. I hope to be wetting your appetite. I hope, I hope that as we look into God's word and you read something, the Bereans were commended because they went and they checked against Paul, the Apostle Paul. Remember that? Everything that he said, the Berean church went and tested daily against God's word. Is that really what it says? Paul seems to be a pretty powerful guy. A lot of things are happening in his ministry. But is that really what it says? That's what I hope we're doing as a church. Not just in small group, but individually. That you walk away from a Sunday and you say, uh, uh, is that really the way the, that the Holy Spirit seals? And I would say, test and see. You have the Holy Spirit of God. If you've believed in faith. And what happens is, you begin to get instructed. You begin to get reminded of things as they come to you. Here's my question for you. Does your inner man, does your inner woman agree with truth? Do you have that sense? Are you instructed spiritually? Is the spirit producing a life of obedience? And you know, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know what it's like to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and really try to obey and grit your teeth versus just going, man, what else can I do? This is God at work in me. Now, I'm still in the flesh, so I don't get it right perfectly. But man, this whole desire is here because God's at work in me. That's the past. You were sealed. Let me move on to the present. You are guaranteed. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the present tense. That's the age we live in. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, and we are guaranteed of our inheritance because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in a sense, the guarantee or the first installment for all that God has planned for us and blesses, with, uh, uh, blesses us with. 
It's our inheritance. This idea of pledge originally referred to a down payment to secure a purchase, but later it came to represent any sort of pledge, and a form of this very same word came to be used in the idea of an engagement ring. This thing that is surely going to happen, and here's a pledge of that. Here's a physical token to say this is a sign of something that is going to happen in the future. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Look at the fruit. Galatians 5.22. We just looked at this with obedience and fruit, but let me read it for you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you see evidence of this in your life? And do you see it in increasing measure? Are you pursuing it? Do you love these things? Do you say, man, that is the kind of life I want to live. What a treasure that is. The question for this is, or this statement really, is to examine the fruit of your faith. What kind of fruit fruit has your faith produced? If it's, I receive the message joyfully, but there's no roots. It withers whenever tests of life come. When tests of life come into your life, does your faith wither and doubt and go all over the place? That's the fruit of the kind of faith you have. So look at that. Examine that. It's just looking back on where you've been and letting it inform what's happening in life. This whole idea of I pledge allegiance is, uh, is, is here's, here's, the, here's the beauty of it. We kind of get it all along that it rests on my allegiance pledged to God, which we already know can be frail. We had to cross our heart and hope to die just to convince people to believe us because we may have lied in the past or broken it in the past or not come through in the past. Did we have good intentions? Of course, always. But our pledge is frail and flawed, isn't it? Isn't it? beautiful that the assurance of our salvation is actually turned on its head and it's God pledging his his allegiance to you such that the perseverance of the saints doesn't depend on you and I and our impeccable perseverance record but an almighty God's ability to preserve the saints and as the Bible says complete the work that God started in you cling to that promise Dwell in that. That's the present. Here's the future. You will acquire possession of it until you acquire possession of it. Is how ESV reads. To the praise of His glory. Two quick thoughts on this. All of the promised spiritual blessings that are assured to us with absolute certainty that only God could provide that we read about in the early parts of chapter 1 are guaranteed to us. And the Spirit is... The picture of that. What's the goal of this inheritance that we're to receive? If we think it's all about us, then we think, well, so that we get lots of good stuff. The Bible makes it clear in verse 14 that it's to the praise of His glory. This actually just manifests, it shows off a great and glorious God. Here's my question for this part of it. Are you living your life for reward now, heaven on earth, or are you living your life for reward later, for this future inheritance? And to say, God, I want to give it away while I'm on earth because I want as many people as possible 
as you would allow me to influence and be a part of to receive and taste the blessing of being in relationship with you. Remember the prodigal son? He kind of took his pay early, didn't he? He said, hey, give it to me now. You know what the father does? Let's him have it. Goes off and he's the God of his life. He's the king of his own castle. And while in the pig slop, it says he came to his senses. And although, humanly speaking, he shouldn't have been able to come back to a father and been welcomed with open arms, that's the picture of a loving, gracious God. Maybe you say, Dave, I feel like it's too late for me this morning. I've already taken my pay, demanded my pay, in fact, and snubbed God. I've snubbed the Father. If you're in the pig slop, would you go read that story of the prodigal son? The Father in the picture is a picture of a loving God who embraces the seeker, who embraces the one who comes back and receives the gift that he has to offer. I want to close our morning uh, really by kind of using a song as a, as a parable, so, so to speak. And um, not to miss the point, I want to throw out to you where I'm going with it. But we live in an era right now that feeds insecurity in people. And in particular, the culture that we live in, young girls are especially susceptible to some of the challenges and pressures that are put on, on us as human beings. I read this article this week. It was a headline that grabbed my attention. It said, Rachel Lee Cook uh, disgusted with entertainment industry's effect on young girls. And it goes on to say how she battled against her own body image-related and here's the word foxnews.com uses, demons. As I read this little article on this page, guess what the page was filled with? Other headlines with what the world would say are the beautiful people. I mean, just underscoring the headline, right? Here's, as I sing this song, here's what I want you to be thinking. What does a parent say to a girl who's struggling with all these external messages being put on her about her looks, about her body, about how she presents herself, about who she is. And let me, so you don't get sidetracked, let me shift that to say, what does the Father, the Heavenly Father, say to His children who are spiritually insecure, who spiritually are believing messages that aren't even true. Do we know these pictures are fake? Can we just nod our heads? They're airbrushed. They're changed. You probably wouldn't even recognize these people in public if you saw them. Do some research on it. So what would the Heavenly Father say to His people, to His children, that are spending so much time trying to live up to a lie, trying to be something they were never intended to be. Fearful of rejection, fearful of failure, and fearful of... Sometimes a few-minute song can say more than a lot of words. May I just humbly submit that there are pur purposeful, dishonest messages that are being hurled at us spiritually and that are harming us. May I humbly submit that I think there are many people 
who, as this song says, kind of live caught in the in-between, in the middle ground, if you will. They long for a life sold out to Christ and experiencing and tasting all that the Bible says. They read the Bible and say, I don't really, I don't really taste and experience that, but I want to. And may I humbly submit that at stake is beauty or disaster, life or death. God puts forth this choice. He says, choose life. Make your calling and election sure. This is some interesting homework that I've left you with. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing a couple of songs as we close. As they come, I would throw out that there's nothing better than being absolutely certain that the most powerful being in the universe has you in his hand, has saved you unto eternal life starting today, and has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And on the flip side, I can't think of what's much worse of walking through this life being uncertain about that. <coughs> Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Father, I thank you for choosing and initiating and orchestrating salvation. Jesus, this morning, we lift you up and praise you for redeeming a people unto yourself. That we can draw near with full, in full assurance, having our evil consciences sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. And Holy Spirit, thank you for sealing believers by confirmation, by testimony, by the obedience that you produce and you get the glory for, and by reminding and instructing, would you instruct our hearts this morning, God? As we sing spiritual songs to one another, as we call out praise to you, Lord, continue to be worshipped this morning. Continue to teach. In Jesus' name, amen.